Hello and welcome to Cities to Love, a podcast tour of our favourite albums from our favourite cities. I'm Hayden Merrick. And I'm Taylor Ruckel. And this week we're in Vancouver, Canada, one of the Great North's most diverse, green and livable cities. Don't believe me? Ask um, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Oh. Or, or you could ask Grimes. Oh. You could ask Tegan and Sarah. Oh. Or Nardua. Mm-hmm. Or Wrexham's man of the century, probably, Ryan Reynolds. You could even ask Carly Rae Jepsen, who was born in Mission, BC, but later lived in Vancouver, including in her post-college pre-Canadian Idol barista era, which is a higher <laughs> honor than most cities can claim. We've all had a post-college pre-Canadian Idol barista era. I'm still pre-Canadian Idol. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems Could to happen be going any day on. now. Any day now. <laughs> um, before we get into our picks, we'd like to acknowledge at the outset here that Monday Vancouver occupies land settled by the indigenous Squamish and Musqueam peoples and was then colonized by and currently named after George Vancouver, who is a British Royal Navy officer. Kam uh, Kamalai, which means place of many maple trees, was the original name given to the area by the Squamish peoples. Yeah, come to think of it, we should probably have had similar land acknowledgements for the other North American cities we've covered since, you know, similar, similar situation. Taylor, I've never been to Vancouver, but I have heard it called Canada's most American city. It's also twinned with LA. Could you speak to this at all? Have you been to Vancouver? Is it American? Mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I'm not a very good American or Canadian. I've never been to Vancouver. Uh, but, you know, their hockey team is called the Canucks, which just means Canadians. And that seems pretty defensive, if you ask me about that <laughs> whole thing. It's also, I know, where they filmed the TV comedy Psych, which was ostensibly set in Santa Barbara, California. So I guess in my imagination, it's just like California, but colder and cheaper. So I guess better in every way then, Be- better. seems like. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have to shout out a couple of cool Vancouver bands that my wife has gotten me into. The first of those being said The Whale, because their song BC Orienteering was on a mix CD that she made for me once. Uh, the second band I have to shout out, of course, is Mother Mother, Mother, Mother. who had a weird 15 minutes of TikTok fame because of their song Hayloft, which was on an album called Oh My Heart, which originally came out in 2008. Chris, of course, has been a fan from way back, so by extension, because of my very cool wife, so have I. <laughs> it was very important to her that I get the timeline right here. She liked them before they were cool. Apologies to Gen Z. Yeah, I've also been turned onto this band very recently and have been really enjoying that 2008 record of theirs. Again, it wasn't TikTok. Ha. Uh, it was my friend Rob, who also didn't find them on TikTok. So hey, Rob, thanks for that. <laughs> we're cool people and we got cool friends. And with that, let's get into something classic from this city. To follow along with our focus tracks, check out the Cities to Love playlist on Spotify and YouTube. You can find links in the episode description. My classic pick is the debut album by the new Pornographers. It's titled Mass Romantic, and it's released on Mint Records in November of Y2K, the year 2000, baby. Uh, The new Pornographers are the West Coast answer to Broken Social Scene, which we featured in our Toronto episode. Call them a collective, a supergroup. They're made up of active participants in Vancouver's music scene. And this album was recorded over numerous sessions with a revolving door of players coming and going. We love a collective on the Cities to Love podcast. And this is one that really was not on my radar before researching this episode. 
Yeah, I just made that crack about Gen Z, but I feel like this pick is really outing us as millennial and Gen Z cuspers because, yeah, this is a <laughs> band I've heard of plenty of times over the years. They put out an album this year, apparently. This um, year. We weren't there for the glory days, though, but I'm very excited to dig in. Yeah, while Broken Social Scene sought to push musical boundaries and fold in these disparate genres and techniques into the grand opus that we talked about in Toronto episode, and while the Elephant Six Collective from Athens was all about the low stakes fucking around and being deliberately mysterious and thus having it wind up as a grand opus, (laughs) conversely, the New Pornographers are your all-day IPA collective. They stick in their power pop or guitar pop lane, but they do it really, really well in an inventive, exciting, colourful way with songs that twist and turn. They definitely don't stay still or just run out the clock. These songs are careful with the word count. They cram in as much as possible, layers on layers. And I don't know, maybe you can see the through line to other Canadian power poppers such as your Kiwis and your Always is Ziz whose deceptively simple power pop songs or whose deceptively simple pop songs are deceptively simple. In actuality, packed to the rafters. I thought uh, we should think a little bit about what's going on at the time in the indie rock world here, outside of the broken social scene, outside of Elephant Six, because you've also got Canadian indie rock peers such as the Constantines and the Weaker Vans who are kind of on the climb up to their creative peaks. The album Left and Leaving came out, came out this same year. We're going to have to do Winnipeg, aren't we? We're going to have to do Winnipeg, yeah. Put a, put a pin in it. Below the border, Wilco have just combined country and punk into the shimmering drug pop album Summer Teeth. Down in New Mexico, a little bit further south, a lot further south, a man named James <laughs> is about to incite a horde of white dudes to plonk headphones over the ears of Manic Pixie Dream Girls or something. You're saying the world is inverting, in other words, at this time. And um, actually, Hayden, I do have to point out, in the movie, she puts the headphones on him. I'm just saying. You need to know your history. That's my bad. I actually haven't seen it. I just thought it seems like the appropriate pop cultural touchstone. (laughs) We're referring to the film Garden State and the song New Slang by The Shins um, because the new pornographers, some of the songs really remind me of that record. Oh, Inverted World is the album. And even more so, James Mercer's other project, Flake Music. I don't know how familiar you are with them, but... Never um, heard of them. I've got homework now. Oh, okay. You're telling me yeah. there's more. Okay. There is more. Let me just roll up my sleeves and get deep in that. We're in that lead up to the very fertile era with the OC and Death Cab for Cutie and Rilo Kylie, where the crossovers between what's indie rock and not a blurry and the major labels are catapulting all this weird stuff into the mainstream like the shit another song from own vertebra by the shins the song know your onion was in gilmore girls yeah and, and they even played so says i in an episode of gilmore girls which still blows my mind what the band did yeah they appear in a bar in the background of an episode oh, playing damn. so says i it's wild I didn't even know that. That is wild. I haven't got that far into the series, to be honest. But you're gonna you're gonna have to come over across the ocean, and we're gonna have to have a Gilmore Girls marathon. That sounds but great. Go on. Well, like the aforementioned fans, we've touched on the new pornographers are one of those acts that survive the tides of this very topsy turvy era and have endured despite relatively little mainstream appreciation. Um, 
Having said that, they are very critically lauded with the first of their four albums, each placing in the top 40 of the Village Voices Paz and Jop year-end poll, um, which polls hundreds of music reviewers. So, yeah. And like you said, they put out an album in 2023. And they've also maintained many of the same collaborators. Speaking of which, leading the new pornographers, we've got AC Newman, also known as Carl Newman, who's credited with vocals, Korg synthesizer, pipe organ, and Wurlitzer. Pipe organ. So this is not your run-of-the-mill rock band setup. Um, he's our no, primary it, lyricist. We need more pipe organs in, in indie rock bands, but go on. Needs more Wurlitzer as well. <laughs> We've got eight musicians total credited on this record. I won't list all the names, but the other notable personnel include Dan Behar of the Vancouver alternative rock band Destroyer. And also the very incredible vocalist Nico Case, mm. who's released seven studio albums and is known for her formidable, wide-ranging vocal style, which she typically applies in alternative country and folk styles. Newman, the band leader, has since said that Nico Case was never there and recorded all <laughs> of her parts in one or two days. So in a way, she sort of is the outlier, especially as she didn't live in Vancouver at the time. There's maybe a bit of the Velvet Underground and Nico parallel. I mean, their names are very similar as well. Yeah, you said this, and the new pornographers and Nico has such a great ring to it. It kind of feels like a missed opportunity that that wasn't the album title. The the name actually came from a Japanese movie from the 60s called The Pornographers, combined ah. with a reference to 60s bands such as The New Seekers and The New Christy Minstrels. There's also a song on the first Destroyer album called The Pornographers, and... Ah. And, and, and the band later learned about a book by a conservative evangelist called Jimmy Swaggart. And his book is called Music, colon, The New Pornography. <laughs> so, you know, like all good band names, there's never one impetus. There's numerous reasons. And you kind of forget which one is the real one. There's a great documentary about this band that... We both tried to find, but couldn't. It seems to be, as you pointed out, just a DVD on a dusty shelf in someone's basement. Yeah. In 20 basements. But if you can find it, anyone, please, we'll, we'll, we'll give you our mailing addresses. It's called Better Off in Bed, but no luck there. So the research took us elsewhere instead. Yeah, but let's talk about the music. We got plenty to work with here. We've got a whole album to talk about. Yeah. The vo- well, firstly, the vocal melodies on this thing are outrageously good. Like, listen to the way Newman shoots up to the high note on the chorus of Body Says No. That song. Mm. You'll, you'll have to listen to it, but the delivery is so cool. And relatedly, Stereogum's Chris DeVille noted that the verses on this thing are like choruses, and then the choruses are like an even bigger chorus, which is so true. I wish I'd thought of that first. Um, it's just hooks upon hooks. And pre-choruses and then post-choruses and uh, yeah, a lot of that has to do with the vocal melodies, I think. Yeah, speaking of hooks, we got to get into your featured track here. Yeah, so this band have a tradition of naming their albums after the opening track, starting here. So Mass Romantic, the song came first and then they liked the title so much that they applied it to the whole album. And what an opening statement it is. It's one of those songs that... Bands go their whole careers without matching, and they did it right off the bat. Side one, track huh. one, album one. Um, it's direct, it's bubbly, it's exceptionally playful. 
built on these staccato bar chords and a herky-jerky almost like barn dancey or Irish jig sort of rhythm like I'm not sure which but <laughs> there's a cool rhythmic undercurrent and a lot is going on with the bleep blooping keyboards the Beach Boys-esque <laughs> vocal harmonies undoubtedly though the focal point is Nico Case's lead vocal which glides above the rest yeah and I, I chose this because of Nico ultimately you know she sings back up on a lot of the songs but this one is all her she's allowed to shine as the like de facto front person for this song and for one other song called Letter from an Occupant, which you pointed out was one of your favorites as well. Yeah, it's just the best. Just so catchy. Just the best vocals. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's the moment where I stopped what I was doing listening to this record and had to like run over to the, you know, <laughs> to the info and be like, okay, what's the song called? Because I have to remember <laughs> it forever. Yeah. While you're doing the washing up, wet hands. Yeah. Touch yeah. Phone. Yeah. My one note on this album is that I wish she sung lead on a few more of the tracks, but... At least we have The Letter from an Occupant and we have Mass Romantic. Um, Mass Romantic, the song, turns a sharp corner in its latter quarter and the outro is like a totally different song joined on the end. <laughs> I feel like it's emblematic of the fact that they just had so many ideas and wanted to crown them all in because they all rule. Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 37, Mass Romantic by the new pornographers so taylor please hit me with your classic pick this was a real challenge because i didn't want to overlap with your classic pick too much so if you pick the new pornographers that rules out destroyer it rules out cub it rules out the evaporators so on so forth but that's okay you know vancouver contains multitudes it's got just the thing for us here we're getting deep into winter now what we need is some cozy fuzzy sweatery classic twee pop what we need is Mitsumeru by Gaze from 1998. And of course, Mitsumeru is Japanese for Gaze. So it's almost a self-titled record. Very nearly a self-titled record. I said classic twee pop. You've got the soft vocals, you've got the dirty, clean guitars, the catchy songs. But this isn't just any classic twee pop. This is a genuine K Records band, part of that cohort working its way up the coast from Washington to British Columbia. It wouldn't be right to not tell you that I found out about this record from a pitchfork list, <laughs> specifically the pitchfork list of the best Pacific Northwest albums, which they put out in 2016. Mitsumeru was number 50. I did not know this was a list, but I was very like pleasantly surprised with Slater Kinney, our buds at number two. Yes. Sitting between Elliot Smith records. Uh, put a pin in that because uh, I can connect Gaze and Slater Kinney even more directly. But to begin with the players, we have guitarist Miko Hoffman, bassist Megan Mallet. They trade off lead vocals between the two of them. And Rose Melberg on drums and backing vocals. And you might be saying to yourself, Rose Melberg, I know that name. You might be familiar with Rose Melberg because she was involved with other bands in the K Records scene like Tiger Trap, The Softies, plus Go Sailor, who released some seven inches with our good friends at Slumberland Records. Oh, damn. Yeah, I, I love that Tiger Trap record. Yeah, it's great. And I think that's probably going to be the entry point for a lot of people here, myself excluded. I only just heard that Tiger Trap record this week after already getting into gaze. I don't ordinarily listen to a lot of twee pop, but one of the cool things about this show is that when you go looking for music geographically, you look into stuff you otherwise wouldn't and you find stuff that you love. 
To, anyway, to finish the thought, Rose Melberg gives us our easiest Slater Kinney connection of any Cities to Love episode so far Whoa. because she had her first ever performance at K Records International Pop Underground Convention in Olympia, Washington in 1991. You know who else had their first performance there? That's right, Corinne Tucker before Slater Kinney. We're at one degree of separation. Hot damn. He's found it. Ding. ding. Yeah, you can't talk about Pacific Northwest without bumping into them. And K Records is, uh, as you mentioned, based in Washington in Olympia. And I think was a conduit for lots of this right girl and twee pop sounds throughout the 90s and beyond. You've got the the Go team to do an episode callback. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Brighton Go team. Exactly. Not that one. And uh, Beat Happening, for example, on this label, who I feel are both adjacent to uh, to this album to or to yes. the band case. Yes. And accordingly, per the K Records online store listing for this record, Mitsumeru was partially recorded by John Collins and David Carswell at a studio called JCDC in West Vancouver, and partially by Calvin Johnson at Dub Narcotic Studio in Olympia, Washington, which is kind of the K Records home studio slash headquarters. Mm. This album also feels reminiscent of, you mentioned Slumberland and I bring them up too often, but those bands like Black Tambourine yeah. and the Isla set, the naughty but nice guitar tone. Yeah. Uh, one of those records that, you know, this is, it is what it is. Uh, it's super enjoyable. And there's also not lows going on beneath the surface mm. to dig into and unpack, which is sometimes all I want. I'm a simple Yeah, man. absolutely. They do what they do very well. And I think even within that framework, there's some interesting bits that point me outside the realm of twee pop. Miko Hoffman's vocals sometimes remind me of Claudia Gonson from the Magnetic Fields, which is maybe a weird mm. comparison. But there's something in the like depth and the texture of her voice that I really love and that, that points me there. Also, totally unrelated, but I just have to say the intro guitar on the song 400 AD sounds like something that could have been on the first Cure album. So there's yeah. these little little fragments of things that stick out to me like, oh, hey, that's a cool, cool something happening there. But yeah, generally Gaze is working within a very specific sound. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of contemporary reviewers kind of dismiss them for that. They made a second record in 1999 called Shake the Pounce, which is also of a piece with this one. Uh, you can find some pretty mean reviews out there for that one if you look. But it wins major cool points in my book for the cover of Nine Lives to Rigel Five by Game Theory, who are one of the all-time great favorite bands, favorite bands. I have to shout out my dear friend Camille for turning me on to Game Theory and the, the Scott Miller extended family of bands. Oh, not familiar with that area, so I've got some homework too. See me after class, Hayden. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, despite the Pitchfork list placement, I think Gaze is still pretty underappreciated. Um, but fast forward to today... Singer-guitarist Miko Hoffman is still performing with a Vancouver band called Foxgloves. Rose Melberg is in another Vancouver band called Olivia's World. And I just think it's so cool that the members of this band have been around since the 90s and are still active in music as of this year, especially to see indie musicians on this level of the underground. You know, we love to see it. I could not find anything on Megan Mallet, so I apologize to her specifically if I missed something there. Um, and just as a side note, I also found another Miko Hoffman project called The Birthday Machine, and I highly recommend their song, Direction and Destination, if you can find that out there on the internet. I don't think it's on streaming, but it might be available other places. It's exquisitely mopey stuff. Very, very good. Oh, Love I'm it so sold. much. Exquisitely mopey. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I was uh, definitely, definitely in that sort of zone with this record. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, it was tough to pick a featured track because there's several that really stand out to me with Mitsumeru. And I especially love the Miko Hoffman fronted ones. They tend to be the sadder, vibier, mopier ones like I'm talking about. I really like the song Bob Again because it has a lot of that kind of magnetic fields texture I was talking about. What I ended up going with is the song Portrait, which was a no-brainer in the end because this is the band Gaze and the album is called Gaze and the song is about gazing. What else was I going to (laughs) do? It's a cool song. There's something kind of unsettled and kind of unsettling in the like high clean guitar chords that are a little bit dissonant. It's a song about two people conversing, but it's written from this extreme abstract remove. And Miko Hoffman really makes you feel the awkwardness of it in those chord changes. There's also this great galloping speed up in the middle of the song, this cool, unexpected moment of crisis in the you know emotional arc. Uh, The lyric I wanted to highlight here is, Don't kid yourself, she doesn't like you any more than she does a cute face in a crowd. And when she sees you, do you see her or do you see what you want her to be? Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 38, Portrait by Gaze. Okay, I will move us on to something current now. And... I'm going to pick the ambient instrumental field recordings album titled First Ah. Sounds by the Brazilian multi-instrumentalist Alexander Klinke, who migrated to Canada from Brazil in 2008. He recorded this series of minimal improvisations onto magnetic tape, both reel-to-reel and cassette, in late 2020. And the... uh, one of the coolest things here is that the tape recorder is the one consistent instrument, one thing we're tethered to throughout the listening. Yeah, I love that concept of the tape recorder as an instrument. This album was released under the artist name Playback Head, and it's worth noting that the name Playback Head comes from the part of a tape recorder that reads the tape for playback. Uh, oh. Maybe even a cooler name than Radio Head, if I had to rank head band names. <laughs> I reckon so. But Alexander Klinka has been around for a while, released several albums under his own name, including one titled Playback Head in 2020, uh, which was the accompaniment to a short film of the same title that combined footage from his childhood in Brazil with his adulthood in Canada. And on that record, he incorporates the actual sound of a Super 8 film projector into the music, which is a really cool way of bringing the playback mechanism into the playback itself. Oh, yeah. I love that. This record, First Sound... Per the liner notes, in addition to the tape recorder, you have improvisations on piano and guitar. You also have the Brazilian viola and the cavaquinho. We talk about so many bands and artists that all use one specific guitar and bass arrangement in their Mm -hmm. songs. Uh, I forget how many different stringed instruments there are in the world, but there are so many and it's it's amazing. But anyway, I I have to ask, how did you even find this record? Yeah, this was found on a on a serious Bandcamp deep dive while researching musical projects from Vancouver for this episode. Uh, yeah, it taps into my love for the New York minimalists, for the yeah. ambient work of Cluster and Eno and the like, which I was really into during my university years. Mm-hmm. Uh, also Nils from the ambient composer, who <gasps> a few years back came out with an album called Music for Animals that's really great. But yeah, thank you for that extra context because it has... Yeah, it does have a variety of instruments. It's mainly, well, it does live in this ambient slash minimalism space. 
Uh-huh. Um, and also largely rooted in the field recordings end of that spectrum. Something we touched on briefly in the Elsa Tully segment of the London episode. Uh, a lot of these sounds were captured during Klinke's travels around Canada and Brazil, but they also showcase his reposed home life with his two sons. Sounds of them playing pop up now and again. Yeah, it's one of the more personal personal kind of touches to this. And on that note, I wanted to quote something from the Bandcamp description of this record. It says, The title First Sounds refers to both his children's first perceptions of the world and to this first offering of music under the name Playback Head, made in the spirit of curiosity, open-mindedness, and experimentation. You really get that when you have, you know, the sounds of children playing in the background of your yeah, music. That's so cool. We we mentioned uh in the Toronto episode that there is a Canadian Council for the arts that provides funding to independent musicians and playback head acknowledges their support in the line notes to this album just incidentally i think that's very cool yeah it's definitely cool it's one of those things that is still super fascinating to me as somebody who lives in a country where that does not exist um and uh he also did a a playback head audiovisual installation last year 2022 that is at simon fraser university which was made through a grant called the Glenn Fraser Acoustic Communication Research Award, which is so cool that that exists. Wow. Uh, you can find pictures of this on his website, alexanderklinka.com. Really cool setup. One of these deals where you, you know, have the bench and um, the projector screens and music playing in the room. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to an art exhibit like that, but it's one of the, the coolest mm. things, I think, to get to walk around in and sit down and, and immerse yourself in. Yeah, I would love to experience this music firsthand these first sounds firsthand it's one of those records where it doesn't send me to sleep but it kind of sends my brain sleep whenever i put it on and i'm trying to focus on it and then i forget it's playing because it's so just enveloping in a way where it just washes over you and relaxes you and um i have to be like focus think about the music (laughs) and then certain things bring you back which is why for my featured track, I chose the piece called Hometown Dawn Chorus, which is a name I really love. Yeah. But also uh, I like the do- the samples or the field recordings of a dog barking in the distance because that's something that brings me back in when I get distracted and forget I'm listening to music. Um, you've also got like bird song and other kind of rustling sounds. The only harmonic or melodic component to this song is this like glistening crystalline chiming bell sound. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find the credit list for what instrument this is, but I think it might be some kind of like mini Moog preset sound or something. Um, Some kind of synth preset, because there's a hint of artificiality to its tone. But it's doing these really pretty arpeggios and kind of underneath that you can hear the soft staticky crackle of the tape recorder. It really is kind of like a a piece of ASMR music or something. Yeah, and that contrast is really well spotted because this is something that the uh, SFU bio for playback head also brings Mm. up the quote here that from there is the juxtaposition of the warm and noisy characteristics of analog equipment with the hi-fi crispness and endless possibilities of the digital medium results in a variety of textures that suggests the ambiguous nature of perception and memory 
it's cool, first of all, to talk about something more academic than we usually look at. But also, I totally hear that. The, it's what you're talking about. You hear the crackle of the tape recorder, and you hear the digital elements as well. And, and um, it gives you a lot to sort of, of negotiate in your brain as you try to determine what is what. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that you chose Hometown Dawn Chorus. Don't think I didn't see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, you can take the boy out of the hometown to Vancouver, but you can't take the hometown out of the boy, nor out of the Dawn Chorus. Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 39, Hometown Dawn Chorus by Playbackhead. You chose such a pleasant, tasteful record. Mine, on the other hand... <laughs> That's not what we're getting, then. It's the album Tough Baby by Crack Cloud from 2022. God, even the name, the band and the album. Pay attention. Crack Cloud. Go. That's such a harsh set of syllables here. Mm. This is one of those times where I had heard of a band and just never spent the time on them. I took this episode as my opportunity. Crack Cloud is a Vancouver-based multimedia collective concerned with music as well as visual art and film. They have a lot of shifting members, not unlike the new pornographers. We really do love those kinds of groups. So does Canada, apparently. So does Canada. Crack Cloud was founded by Zach Choi as part of his recovery from addiction. In an interview with The Guardian from a few years ago, he called music, quote, an obsession that replaces the substance abuse. Early on in their life as a collective, Crack Cloud were also involved with care services and overdose prevention work in Vancouver, combating the opioid epidemic, which is super cool. For live shows, this group usually has a seven-member lineup, but they feature many more people than that on their records. Like, the wow. allmusic.com credits for their 2020 debut record, Pain Olympics, lists about 20 different musical contributors, not counting people like choreographers who were involved with, you know, the video elements of the record. Pain Olympics... By, you know, as a result of that, uh, of the, the multitude of cooks, was pretty zany, pretty theatrical, um, but also comparatively more straightforward post-punk than what we've got here on Tough Baby, which is their weirder sophomore album. Tough Baby is drawing on some very personal loss from Zach Choi's background. His father was diagnosed with terminal leukemia when Zach was 11. The first track on the record is called Danny's Message. And it opens up with his father's recorded voice passing on this message about music and about emotional catharsis. He was also uh, a musician, evidently. And so from that, Choi's grief kind of extends through the record, along with his social and political anger, which is expressed with this kind of indulgent adolescent sensibility that his father encouraged in that message at the beginning of the record to, to get everything out, to put everything down on paper, whatever it is you're feeling. The first track, for example, starting very strong... That voice recording segues into this really pretty sort of meandering musical passage where you've got guitar and harp and mellotron, horns, choral singers. It just builds up and up and up and then cuts out abruptly, goes right back to the voice recording very suddenly. And the quote that it ends on is, you'd be amazed at how good you can feel afterwards after you express what's been bugging you or a great event in your life. Anger. Excellent way to let your anger out. What great advice. Yeah. What a great way to start a record. I know. It's really a, 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 a mission statement, right? A statement of purpose yeah. for what this record is going to be. The maximalism of it all kind of reminds me of, I'd say, like Black Country New Road or something in a way. Well, now who's finding the, the British sounding bands? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I can do you one better because I also get a little bit of the Go Team 
that is the Brighton Go team mm. on this record too. It's it's that high saturation sound palette. It's the ecstatic collage feel. Although by comparison, I'd say Tough Baby is not aiming for Go team levels of swagger and groove and whatnot. It's much more concerned with just sort of the the oh what's the word I'm looking for? Just the bigness of everything. Yeah, it's more menacing, less double dutch chants and more witchcraft ritual or something. Totally. Totally. Yeah. If I were to describe them using only bands that we've talked about on the podcast, yeah, it'd be Go Team plus some of that post-rock collectivism of, say, Broken Social Scene. Pain Olympics, for whatever reason, was a record that got a lot more attention. Uh, And this release seems to have kind of gone under the radar. I looked into this. Um, I was talking on Twitter with our friends of the pod, CJ Simonson and Luke Phillips of Merry Go Round Magazine, who also work in radio promotion. And according to them, Tough Baby just didn't get the same kind of promo push as Pain Olympics. So it's a really interesting case study of, of what happens when a really buzzy band doesn't, you know, um, use the same levers when they're promoting their second album. Yeah. But they're out there, you know, in the world. Recently, Crack Cloud opened for Eve Toomer. They've also done shows with Ganser, which is another band that I love. And so there's a lot of overlap with other stuff that I like. Um, but on that note, this is where it gets a little bit complicated for me. You know, because usually when I bring a record to the show, it's just an unalloyed recommendation. You should all go listen to this kind of thing, right? Right. Um, usually it's because I think it's something people will enjoy, even if it's something less universally accessible like Bad Brains, for example. Uh, but this one, Tough Baby, I'm not even sure. There's parts, there's tracks I can recommend for sure. As a full project, it's a little bit sophomoric, you know, to my ear. For one thing, there's the political discursive element of the record. I think the lyrics can be a little bit corny. Or maybe it's just the super exaggerated vocal style that makes me think that because then I go read the lyrics and they read okay on the page. (laughs) There's the fact that they have based on true shit emblazoned on the record sleeve and on the videos. And I'm always like, you know, how seriously do we take this and how seriously do they take themselves? It's a little bit unclear. And so I don't know if everything comes together into like a cohesively impressive package. The songs are fragmentary. Sometimes that feels really electric and inspired and exciting. And sometimes it makes them feel kind of half-baked. But, you know, as an aside, we talked about funding grants that exist for Canadian music. Tough Baby was at least partially funded by Amplify BC's Career Development Program, part of Creative BC, which is an organization affiliated with the provincial government. And it is genuinely important to me that money goes to weird, challenging art that I don't necessarily always like or understand. I'm really impressed, actually, that you've picked an album like this that you don't necessarily like or understand and have still managed to find such insightful things to say about it and can still see its merit i think i'm less open-minded than you i'm realizing (laughs) although i did find a few moments i i really did enjoy on this for example the song costly engineered illusion with those twinkling christmasy chimes under all those overlapping talky vocal layers it reminded me of low and gila band teaming up to cover Mm. echo and the bunny men or (laughs) maybe orange juice or something Choi does enunciate in that strange edwin collins way like really strange really uh you can tell like his mouth is moving a lot um yes very exaggerated mouth movements you can hear yeah that the moment i was fully sold was during the song criminal with those really big booming drum stabs in the instrumental section Ah. and then the samples in the intro as well it felt like a noise collage like very industrial and dystopian yeah i think what i've settled on with this record is that whether i like it or not i'm for sure compelled by it 
there's an emotional intensity that's very evident, you know, to what Crack Cloud is doing, both sonically and visually. Uh, it is at the very least arresting, and more than other records, I have to think about whether I like it or not, which is actually, you know, kind mm. of refreshing. I've also, I have to say, teared up watching some of their videos, and I'm not always sure why. They're that kind of band where, uh, you know, they make me feel things, and I don't always know exactly what or why. Um, again, refreshing, arresting. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about this one, you know, when we're done recording here. I've been thinking about it all week, um, and this is all why I chose the song Please Yourself as my featured track and why I have to recommend the video to go along with it. I don't think I can recommend one without the other. For a little bit of context, the video stars Lisa Choi, who also appears on the album cover. I wasn't able to find any info on her specifically, but in that old Guardian interview that I mentioned from before, Zach Choi talks about how some of the collective members are siblings, and so I think she might be his sister. In the video, she plays a character called Crack, who makes clouds. Uh, throughout the video, you have as much maximalism as you get in the music. It starts on the set of the album cover shoot. It unfolds through layers of music video within music video. There's a bunch of people in hospital gowns. There's a guy in a scary mask who's painted blue. Mac DeMarco is there. Mac also. DeMarco is there. He, well, he's a BC... <laughs> Oh no, he's maybe Calgary or something, but he's he's near enough. He's Canadian. He's, he's Canadian. He's definitely Canadian. We can that this we can say for sure. Uh it's a lot to take in this video, but the spirit of it really really impacted me. There's a bit where Lisa Choi is the center of the band and they're, you know, kind of circling around her performing and um Zach is flailing around behind her and she's cracking up in a way that seems really genuine and really organic and very sibling and I just I really love that. And uh, it also, of course, you know, renders visually the catchiest refrain on the entire album. The lyric, if I were to pick a featured lyric from the song, is free as much as I can't be. I want it so badly and I want it now, which is deceptively shallow. Mm. But in the context of the band and the video, I don't know, like it could be about grief. It could be about addiction. It could be about self-harm. There's a lot going on here. And whatever it is, it's a good line to wail, as Zach Choi does with a choir to back him up with a plum. It could be about records. It could be he about... It could be record shopping. <laughs> it could be. That's the thing. And then, you know, this video ends on a skit and a poem sort of thing. Sort of a skit acting out a poem. Uh, it's not in the album version. I don't feel like I can adequately describe it. I'm going to have to insist that you go watch the video. Um, I will say there's a very surreal after-school special energy to the whole thing. Um, and also something I found out is that the band's logo which is an exclamation point is lifted directly from a series of psas by a nonprofit called concerned children's advertisers layers upon Great layers upon tidbit. layers of a visual design and and vision with this band those following along in the cities to love playlist we now invite you to play track 40 please yourself by crack cloud Well, Taylor, we have reached the coolest section of every podcast, literally, because... Because you're going to tell me about something cool. Exactly. The The cool album I'd like to tell you about this week is by a band called Gum Country. The mm. album is called Somewhere, and it was released in 2020. So, first off, the first question we had, you had, Taylor, was, where is Gum Country, man? Like, geographically speaking, <laughs> yeah. I had some joke answers, including the retirement home, the Seattle gum wall, somewhere, dot, 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 
according to the album title. Right. Or maybe it's where two friends and fellow music lovers talk about cool records that make them tick. But you actually researched this and please may you present your findings for extra credit. Yeah, maybe we've always been in gum country. Maybe gum country is a state of mind. Uh, I had to look into this. I had to just because we're all about geography on this show, you know, and so... My first thought was just to Google the phrase gum country, which didn't get me very far. I found one dictionary result from a site I'd never heard of before called BAB.LA. It defines Babla, (laughs) defines gum country as, quote, the land on which cowrie trees once grew, often still yielding valuable cowrie gum. And from there, of course, Hayden, you found a listing for looks like a Renaissance era book called The Land of the Lost, A Tale of the New Zealand Gum Country. Um, I'm halfway through and loving every word. (laughs) I'm sure you are. (laughs) That was all I could come up with. Uh, So this is one of those cases. I emailed the band and uh, Courtney Garvin actually got back to me very kindly. And she says, quote, the name gum country came from the idea of bubblegum and country being genres of music that wouldn't normally go together. And I just thought it sounded like a really magical, wacky place. So nope, not a real place. People sometimes think it's Australia because of the gum trees there, which is fine, too. So, Courtney, thank you very much for clearing up that burning question for us. I agree. It does sound like a magical, wacky place. And true to the name, we've got ourselves a magical, wacky band here. Indeed. And now we know where gum country is or isn't. We need to know who is gum country. Well, you mentioned Courtney Garvin. She is one half of this band. This is a duo. She's perhaps better known for her other band, though, The Courtney's. Uh-huh. The aptly titled The Courtney's. <laughs> at least if we're going by the superficial measure of monthly listeners. But um, she's a storyboard artist by day. She's on vocals and guitar in Gum Country. And Connor Mayer, her partner, is on drums and keys in this band. I believe their touring bassist as well is Hall Saxon Gaines of the fantastic LA-based Krautrock synth-pop band Automatic. Hmm. Don't know if you're familiar with Automatic, but more More homework for me. The duo described their sound as harsh twee, which seems like an oxymoron. And they also have described it as easy listening for distortion lovers, which is fun. I'm all about these labels, these descriptors, and this sweet, sweet juxtaposition in general. Hell yeah. Sonically, to me, this record is perfect. You've got a wall of thick, fizzy guitar and maximalist neon light synths just these slabs of color it's a bit peel dream magazine if you know that band it's a bit smashing pumpkins or sonic youth that they're very very poppiest but also yeah ostensibly the new zealand bands like the clean bit of that jangle pop sound you mentioned the twee pop and you can see this as sort of a descendant also of a band like gaze but yeah. uh you talk about the color maybe gaze is a is a tasteful black and white and uh uh, you know, an artistic black and white, and Twee then noir. you've got yes, tween noir, yes, and then you've got <laughs> you've got some color here with uh, with uh, gum country. Yeah, absolutely. Some of that bright bubble gum packaging coloring, you know, that the neon grocery store line eye catching color. I'm so fascinated by the sound of this record. Yeah. One secret to how Courtney Garvin gets this very distinctive clattering, jangling guitar tone is, I think. The fact that she plays in open E tuning. Yeah, so you and I talked about this, the open E of it all. For the non-guitar players in the audience, tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean? What makes playing an open E so great? So open E is when you adjust the tuning of certain strings so that 
when you play all the strings open, i.e. without holding down any frets, without using your fretting hand, your left hand in my case, you get this big ringing E major chord. So with that as a bass then, you unlock lots of different chord shapes. You can play power chords down on the first three lower strings while leaving the higher strings ringing out like this E major triad on top. So the sound is just really thick and full. could almost sound like a 12 string guitar or like two guitar parts. The tones are conversing and intervals that wouldn't necessarily usually easily converse together are. So yeah, it unlocks a lot of new possibilities. Also E major or E minor is just such a go-to key for rock music in particular for music written on a guitar because of that low E string. So this just takes it to the next level. He's got his hand up. <laughs> People can't see this right now, but I just want it to be known that I am nodding knowingly as though this is all familiar information to me too and part of my guitar uh, repertoire and not something I'm furiously taking notes on to practice later when the episode wraps. Well, when you do, the top tip is tune your guitar to E flat and then oh. put it in open E because otherwise you may snap some strings because you've got to get that A up to the B. Okay. you got to get that D that. up to the E, right. etc. But yeah, it's really fun tuning to play. I've been in it trying to work out the the gum country songs um, for, for a little while. It's not just the tuning of the guitar. and There's other technical aspects here to the setup. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I don't know too much about the like about the technical setup but um undoubtedly the way she's setting her amp maybe a few pedals we know she plays the the ocd pedal which she painted over um, <laughs> yes. and that has a that has a very distinctive tone yes, OCD for pedal. for people don't know who don't know about the cancellation of the makers of ocd um look into that but uh, <laughs> yeah. But she repainted her pedal so that it says BLM, and you can see that on the um, Gum Country Blogspot website. So also from live performances of the Courtney's uh, on YouTube, it looks like she pretty consistently uses a Strat with single coil pickups, which makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, yeah. To telegraph this really distorted, fuzzy, yeah. fizzing guitar tone, but it's not like... It's not like a humbucker sound. It's not yeah. that kind of like fat. It's still thin-ish and ringing, but full. It's, it's very much a Strat sound. Um, anyway, before everyone stops listening, let's get into <laughs> the story of this band. Bring them back now. Bring them back. <laughs> Annoyingly, um, they wrote and recorded this album in Los Angeles, but they are from Vancouver. So I hope it counts. I hope you'll allow me this i i will allow it Exception. if only because as we've talked about the guitar tones on this record are just so freaking sweet man thank you plowing ahead then this album came out in 2020 and a lot of it lyrically at least is about adjusting to a new home one of the lyrics is i'll walk around until i find myself around here find myself around here somewhere they're very mm. diaristic mm -hmm. straight shooting lyrics in many cases Although you've also got the song Talking to My Plants, where she, Courtney, basically ponders whether she's the one talking to her plants or whether they're talking to her. Hmm. There's a lot of this low stakes, day-to-day -day life delivered in a very witty way, just 
ideas that roll around your head and then roll off your tongue. Yeah, I don't know what time in 2020 this record came out. I didn't look that up, but certainly talking to your plants is a very 2020 thing to do. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, actually, speaking of which, just to touch on briefly on something that's a lot sadder and more serious, actually, um, the fact that Courtney has been suffering from long COVID for mm. the last few years. Yeah. And there's actually an LA Times article on the virus's continued impact, um, which it centers on Courtney and her partner. So maybe we'll drop that into the episode description yeah. or something because it's it's worth a read. It's a really sobering reminder that this hasn't just completely gone away. It's still hugely right. impacting people and notably uh, detrimental to working musicians. Totally, you know? yeah, especially. But um, the, this band, Gum Country, and also the Courtney's were very much lockdown bands for me. I just discovered, discovered both of them around that time so it does take me back to those days inside um and i think like you with kiwi jr i needed Mm -hmm. her very matter of fact nonchalant easygoing vocal to ground me and and help me shrug things off and just go have a natter with my plants you know yeah totally bring yourself back down to earth um you brought up the fact that she sings so matter-of-factly um, she just sounds so cool, the vocals on this so record. So cool. And by extension, you know, she makes talking to your plants sound like a, such a cool thing to do. Um, but talking to my plants is not your featured track. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's right. It, it could be, but I do have one outstanding favorite that sits above the rest from this album. That is the finale, the album's epic finale titled Waterfall. Mm. And we, we talk about these huge open open E major key riffage. Well, yeah. this song is the perfect example. And they take that to the max, just walls and walls of water, sound, <laughs> sonic water that just keep building. Like the song is a kind of structured around a gradual crescendo as though you're on a walk and are getting closer and closer to the roar of the water at first like it starts off by relaxing into this halftime drum groove and then there's a riff that essentially just tracks the major scale up and down with a few repeated vocal phrases but then it builds and builds and by the end it's just massive you've arrived the sound consumes you cymbals flying all over Hmm. the place the guitars screaming and the lyric to highlight there is the wall of falling water as endless as time itself. Your anxieties will melt the comfort of its sound. Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 41, Waterfall by Gum Country. So back to the intro, if you were to call Vancouver a Canada's most American city, I think my cool pick would be a pretty solid piece of evidence uh, to argue that, because my cool pick is Celebration Rock by Japan Droids from 2012. Celebration Rock. Yeah. Being the sophomore record by Vancouver Dudes Rock duo David Prowse and Brian King, recorded at the now-shuttered Hive Creative Labs in Vancouver. Your second North American band using a a Japanese related word. Yes. In this episode. Yes. Although, of course, Miko Hoffman is Asian Canadian. Japan Droids, I'm pretty sure, is just a couple white dudes. Um <laughs> <laughs> if I were to really go for the Vancouver pick from this band, um, this might not be the record to highlight. 
their compilation No Singles, which combines their first two EPs, has songs like Darkness on the Edge of Gastown, which of course is combining a Springsteen reference with a Vancouver neighborhood, and also the song No Allegiance to the Queen, which is self-explanatory. Mm. Um, there's also their debut LP Post Nothing, which has kind of a breakup song to the scene in the song Rockers East of Vancouver. Overall, that one is kind of a, um, it's a classic kind of record about wanting to get out of your hometown. And the story goes that they had been determined to break up Japan Droids after recording Post Nothing, only to then have label interest and momentum behind the release. And so they decided temporarily to continue. And then, well, they tour the world. They come home to Vancouver. They make another record. And that's Celebration Rock. And so rock. I went back and forth on this. <laughs> Celebration Rock. It should be R-A-W-K. <laughs> Celebration Rock. Um, I went back and forth about this. I settled on Celebration Rock for my pick from this band just because of how much of a leap it is from their earlier stuff. Like, Post Nothing has its moments, but there's a lot of raw material feeling, a lot of potential energy on that record. Um, and as big as this band got at their peak, they feel kind of memory hold now. So if you've never listened to them, it would be irresponsible of me to recommend you anything but Celebration Rock. It's the all-out, go-for-broke sophomore record. And for my money, it's one of the best straight-ahead rock records of the century so far. And what a simplistically awesome title to tell us that, too. Uh, I know. We've been we've been joking on this, but like it is exactly what it says on the tin. This is one of those records where what they tell you is what you get. Um, also, I'm not speaking purely hypothetically here about people who may have never listened to Japan Droids, because I think you had never listened to this band before. Uh, and so now I get to be... The Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I get to put the headphones on your ears. you got to hear this one song. It'll change your life. We did have that moment with your feature track, so we'll, yes. we'll circle back to that. It's not quite as, um, as uh, I don't know, visually uh, compelling over um, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter DMs, but yes, yeah, not exactly Garden State. But um, the way I explained this to you initially is that Celebration Rock makes me nostalgic for a version of myself that never existed, where I was cooler and I partied harder in college instead of what actually happened, which is that I sometimes went out to bars with my thesis proofreading group from the English department. Well, I don't know. That sounds pretty cool to me. Did you go through the menus and mark them up with proof marks? <laughs> no, see, this is what I mean, because it turns out we didn't even do the coolest version of our uncool thing. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, the sound of this record. It's very influenced by American rock of the 70s and 80s and its vision. You've got a lot of Bruce Springsteen influence. Tom Petty is something that I think of when I when I hear like the, oh yeah, all right, chorus on the song Evil Sway, for totally. example. Um, the first track, the um, Knights of Wine and Roses, is a reference to the band The Dream Syndicate. Um, I could also see a Who Screwed You comparison in the way they take some of that classic rock stuff and just kind of make it rougher, make it noisier. Um, and of course, the cover of the record is a clear homage to Marquee Moon by television, although I don't think the sound borrows very much from them. I'm also getting Against Me, hmm. who I know you're a fan of, I, I believe. Yeah. So we'll have to get more into them sometime when we get down to America's Wang, Florida, I believe <laughs> as it's known. Also, oh, yeah. also Gaslight Anthem, who are back yeah. after nine years, baby. They are. That's what I've been doing with my guitar is just playing Gaslight Anthem riffs all the time now. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Japan Droid stuff. There's so many comparisons here because what they do is so broad and so archetypal. 
what it is really it's the sound of this scrappy diy duo finally getting out of their hometown like they always wanted and then getting to make the arena rock record of their dreams also these lyrics man are we sure the <laughs> craig finn or like jack kerouac didn't write these like yeah. there are so many examples i picked out one of them i mean the hook give me younger us that makes me feel things give yeah. me younger that one's great also hitchhike to hell and back riding the wind waiting for a generation's bonfire to begin when the plunder of the poets thunder of a punk's guitar beat life to my body sulking drunk at the back of a bar yeah there's almost Damn. like a uh you could imagine the like faustian bargain that they made with uh selling their souls to craig finn <laughs> to get something like that out of this yeah. right um that's one of the reasons i had to pick this record over the other japan droid stuff it's such a level up for the lyrics um a lot of their older stuff it's sort of just like one or two lines repeated that they shout you know very passionately um but mm. yeah here you've got full verses you've got big choruses uh, Fire's Highway is a major highlight for me on this record. You, the lyrics are, as you described, um, the uh, drum fills like perfectly mimic the feeling of your heart pounding faster and faster because you're just so excited. And the lyrics do that too. And this kind of endearing, maybe even clumsy breathlessness to them. The lyric and the chorus is, hearts from hell collide on Fire's Highway tonight. And what I love is there's a little bit of a hitch there in the way that it's delivered. There's the, the stressed syllable at the start of tonight is one that you have to kind of cram in unnaturally. Hearts from hell collide on fire's highway tonight. It's like, it's not yeah. quite, it's not quite right, but it, it works. Um, and it adds to that sense of your heart kind of skipping a beat in excitement and anticipation. That is a very cool analysis. Thank you. I know exactly what you mean. And yeah, overall, I feel like this album just kind of captures that feeling of being young and dumb and earnest. It better at that basically than any other record I can think of. If they committed to this, even one degree less than all the way. It wouldn't work at all. Uh, but fortunately, that's just not an issue here. They go all in. They do go all in. It's so anthemic. Fists in the air. Hearts on the tattooed sleeves. I mean, the record ends with the sound of fireworks going off. Yeah. Come on, Starts like... and ends. It bookends it. Yeah. It really works. I would say, going back to our Garden State moment, this is one that grabbed me by the collar instantly on first listen but then successive listens it didn't really make me fall deeper in love with it like the first listen gave me as much as i got out of it not a complaint just interesting that some records like this one are showers while others like the new pornographers are maybe growers yeah sorry one second i have to pull a quote here is it about willies yeah so i have a great quote here from a uh you know, esteemed music journalist that I wanted to share uh, upon first, you know, listen to Celebration Rock by Japan Droids. Uh, and that quote is, holy dicks. Um, and that was the <laughs> esteemed UK music writer Hayden Merrick. Uh, maybe oh, you, wait, maybe, maybe people have actually, heard of him. Yes. <laughs> was <it> actually? <laughs> that was what you said. Uh, That's what you remember. On hearing that. this, the, uh, the first time that I sent you uh, a song from Celebration Rock. So... As if I've just made the <laughs> growers or shows analogy. I can't believe it. Brilliant. Please continue. Yeah. Holy well, you know, it, it's not a perfect album. Um, there's some filler, but the good songs are all good enough to outweigh that multiple times over. Yeah. Agreed. Like the song Evil's Sway, for example, didn't quite do it for me. Yeah, I hear that. And on top of that, you know, this being the capital R rock record it is, it kind of inherits some cringeworthy ways of writing about women a little bit. Anyway. 
after this record, after the rigorous world tour that follows, Japan Droids went on hiatus. They reunited. They put out a third record in 2017 that was just kind of not as good or as impactful, really. Um, and since then, all they've done is put out a live record, and they don't have much social media presence. So I'm not really sure where they are, or what they're doing right now. This record was a huge critical hit. It made a lot of publications, year-end lists, and a lot of high placements. It was number one at a lot of places like um, you know Rolling Stone, for example. Um, but Celebration Rock really hasn't had a long tail. It's one of those records that grabs you by the collar, and for a lot of people, I think, just sort of vanished very mm. soon after. Such a weird moment. You know, for comparison, you had highlighted the Menzingers as a band kind of in a similar lane, and they have never had an album as critically successful as this, but they have more than three times Japan Droid's monthly streaming listeners, and, you know, they do the anniversary tours and whatnot. Um, so just an interesting thing about this band is that they sort of... They sort of show up and flame out and disappear again. Totally, yeah. For my featured track here, I had to choose the song The House That Heaven Built, um, which kind of makes me feel like crying and also makes me definitely want to run through a brick wall. It's the peak of the like explosive sentimentality of this record. It's a landmark in the history of great woe-woe-woes in song. Brian King is pushing the vocals to the absolute limits, and he even like nailed it in the studio, but if you listen to any live recordings, he can't really replicate the performance with any consistency. So like a lot of things about this record, it's a really special one-off moment in time. Also, this is an interesting track, tracing their relationship to their hometown, because in 2013, the Vancouver Canucks made it their entrance music on a temporary basis after it won an online fan poll. Apparently, their wow. usual entrance music is Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, but for a while there, they were coming out on the ice to The House That Heaven Built by Japan Droids. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? It's a little like that story about Born to Run almost being adopted as New Jersey's unofficial state youth anthem, even though it's very clearly about getting out of New Jersey. Hey, if, you, if you've called it home, you're qualified to <laughs> rip it, rip, rip the shit out of it and yeah. want to get out. Once you've left, you use those nagging rights, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably true. One of the operative lines here in The House That Heaven Built is, it's a lifeless life with no fixed address to give. It's very clearly a song about being on the road away from Vancouver. And since this era, Brian King has even moved away from Vancouver. Um, but, you know, that's the thing about being from somewhere is you can never really get away completely and not forever, especially if you give them something like this record to remember you by. Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 42. The House That Heaven Built, by Japan Droids. So as we go into our outro and our honorable mentions, uh, I have to shout out exclaim.ca, which is such a great resource with such a deep archive anytime we talk about Canadian music. I always find myself really appreciating the info and the, you know, long, long archive of that, that publication. Um, I already gave some honorable mentions in the intro, so I will reiterate again. Go listen to Said the Whale. Go listen to Mother Mother. Have a great time. Go listen to a tiny band from the early 2000s called Young and Sexy, hmm. who have barely 100 <laughs> listeners, but I, I found them while researching this. Super catchy, pretty guitar pop songs. Also Cub, who you briefly mentioned, early 90s cuddlecore band. Apparently <laughs> this is a whole subgenre I wasn't aware of. Oh yeah. And guess, guess who compiled the cuddlecore compilation in the early 90s? Ooh. It was Slumberland it Records. It was Slumberland. Oh yes. Always comes back to them. Uh, also shout out a DIY punk band called Poor Form who have not done anything since 2016 sadly otherwise I did have them earmarked for a current pick ah. but um, yeah 
so much good stuff from Vancouver. Where where are we heading next, though, Taylor? Well, we've spent a lot of time here in North America. We've spent a lot of time in Europe. It's time for us to head down under. So we'll see you in Melbourne, Australia. Home of your favorite band in the world, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Woo! <laughs> For more from the hosts of Cities to Love, check out the episode description, where you can find links to the Cities to Love playlist, as well as some of our other music writing work. Thanks to Ultimate Overshare for the use of Gotta Juice, which is our intro and outro music. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. This has been Cities to Love. Cities to Love.